Hi there, this is Pastor Aaron of Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church, and we pray that through the preaching of God's Word that you were encouraged and pointed to Christ, our glorious Savior. If you have any questions or comments, uh, you can find us at www.fairviewcornerstone.com, and uh, please write to us. We'd love to uh, hear any questions or comments. We pray the Lord encourage you through this sermon. And so I want to invite you to turn with me this morning to First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15. And in many ways, when you think about the scriptures, the Old Testament is preparing us for the coming of Christ. The Gospels record his coming, his life, his death, his resurrection. And then all of the rest of the New Testament uh, fundamentally is explaining the work of Christ is giving us the understanding of why that uh, moment, why, why his work is significant. And so uh, it is a beautiful way in which God has put together his scriptures for us. So we're going to look a little bit this morning, uh, not so much at the, hyster- the historical account of his resurrection, but at what it means for us. Um, so I invite you to stand, please, and we're going to pick up at verse 1. I'll just, we're going to read a fairly decent uh, portion of scripture here so you get the full picture of what Paul is saying. So 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed." Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised." For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep." And so, before we pray, uh, let us have the heart that, um, as, as the 
psalmist prayed, let us pray, let the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, my rock, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Let's ask the Lord's help now as we look at his word. Gracious God in heaven, we come before you again, Lord, as a people who grow hungry, not only physically, Lord, but spiritually. Our souls are dependent upon the bread of life, Lord, the, the true drink, which is Christ. And so we ask now, Lord, that you help us to understand his resurrection, Lord, in a, in a clearer way as a result of your word this morning. And Father, that the uh, not only the understanding of what he has done, but Lord, uh, that we would apply that to our hearts. We would feel the, the confidence and the, the joy and the, the liberty that Christ has given for all those who will believe upon him. Lord, and we ask for those that have not placed faith in Christ, for those that have not called upon him for the forgiveness of their sins, we ask that this morning that that would happen, Lord, that they would see Christ as their glorious Savior according to your uh, good pleasure, Lord. And we, we ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Thank you. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not only the event that has divided history itself between B.C. and A.D., but it is unlike any other event in human history. I think on the one hand I could safely assume that you're here this morning because you affirm that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead. And, and I think I don't have to spend a lot of time trying to convince you of the uh, accuracy of this historical record that the apostles have given to us. Not only that, but that Jesus Christ was not merely a man uh, like we are, but Jesus Christ was eternal in the joy of the Father, and he joined to his divinity, humanity, in the incarnation that he lived a sinless life, fulfilling all righteousness, and then offering himself on the cross of Calvary as not uh, the atonement for his sins, but for the sins of us who have transgressed the law of God, and that Christ did, in fact, rise from the dead and revealed himself in his physical resurrection to his apostles and were told to over 500 eyewitnesses. But just in case there is someone here this morning that doubts the historical record, that has questions and they think maybe this is a fabricated story, maybe this is just something that, that a, people, a group of people decided to uh, invent and to begin spreading and that there is actually no historical uh, credibility to this account, I want to just remind you of what Paul is saying and what this means in 1 Corinthians 15. We are not talking about hearsay. We're not talking about tradition. We're not talking about a story that uh, someone told sometime. What we are talking about is a historical event that has eyewitnesses, and we have those witnesses' accounts here in the Scriptures. And they themselves not only heard about Jesus rising from the dead, but they talked with him. They touched his body where the nails went into his hands and where the spear pierced his side. And Paul is saying, listen, this is not just some myth that man has created. We have seen him with our eyes. And it reminds you of what uh, John would say in 1 John 1.1, also a follower of Christ, an apostle. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we have looked upon, we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. So when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's not an obscure story passed down by a few people. Hundreds of eyewitnesses testify to this historical event. We have thousands of more ancient manuscripts verifying the resurrection of Jesus Christ than any other person in history combined. Uh, If you were to take the records that are recorded about someone like Caesar, you might have a pile, you know, about this high of ancient documents, and the closest that we date back to the actual time of Caesar is about a thousand-year gap. When we are talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you were to compile the documents one on top of the other, it would be over a mile high. And we're not talking about a thousand-year gap. We are talking about within the first century, they have recovered documents to verify these things. And so if you are here as a skeptic this morning, I plead with you to look at the overwhelming evidence that is verifying this event So, if you are here this morning and you are already affirming that I believe the resurrection took place, I believe in the account of the apostles, um, what does it mean? Why is it significant? I remember the first time someone asked me, was Jesus the first person to rise from the dead? And initially I said, well, of course. And then you stop and think, wait a minute, there was other resurrections recorded in the scriptures, even in the Old Testament in 2 Kings 4.35. Elijah, after um, blessing a widow and and promising uh, her a son, and and her receiving the son as promised, um, that he became sick and died, and she comes to Elijah and and is is broken and says, what have you done? You have just just broken my heart. And and, and Elijah comes back in 2 Kings 4.35, and we have the account of of Elisha raising him from the dead, all the way back in the Old Testament. We know in the life of Jesus, we have at least three records of people being raised from the dead. The daughter of Jairus in Mark 9, uh, 25, he comes to Jesus pleading with him to heal his daughter, and the servants come shortly behind and said, don't bother him, she's she's already dead. And and Jesus says, no, I'll come. And and he goes there to the house, and and, uh, he, he raises her from the dead. And we see the same in um, Luke uh, seven fifteen, another young man who died and whose mother was weeping. It was her only son. And Jesus comes and tells him to get up and he rises from the dead. And of course, the most famous resurrection in the life of Jesus um, is Lazarus in John 11, where he has been dead not just for a few hours, but for days. And Jesus comes to the tomb, and he calls Lazarus out of the grave, and, and the Lazarus comes, you could imagine the picture, walking out in grave clothes, and the people are amazed. So the question is, then, what does it mean, as Paul said here at the end of our passage, that Jesus Christ is the first fruits. He is, as Paul would say in Colossians 1, the firstborn of the dead. What does that mean? There has been other resurrections. What is unique about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Why is he referred to 
as the first fruits. There's two things I think we know it does not mean. Um, I had some Jehovah's Witness come by the house on uh, Friday, I think it was. And, uh, and so here we go. You know, let's, we're not going to talk about we're not going to talk about family. We're not going to talk about government. We're not going to talk about all that. I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ. Who is he? And when they read the firstborn, they're thinking he is the first creature. He is the first, the first being that God made. Well, that's not consistent with the New Testament. And uh, I would encourage you, if you encounter Jehovah's Witness, do not let them off the hook with changing the Scripture. John 1.1, their, their New World translations just alter it to match their doctrine. He was not with God and was not God. He was a God, their translation says. He did not create all things, but, well, actually, I think their, their translation says all things, and you have to say, but you can't say that. You have to say all things except for him and, and, and point the inconsistencies out. But that's not what, what Paul means and that's not what we mean when we talk of Christ as the firstborn. Um, secondly, we know that, as I already said, it can't mean that he's the first one to rise from the dead because we have other accounts of resurrection stories. So what does it mean that Jesus Christ is the firstborn? And uh, I'm sure we could have an extremely long list of things we could observe about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but just briefly four things this morning that set Christ apart in his resurrection. Um, first of all, that Jesus Christ is the only one to be rejected by death because of his sinlessness. Jesus Christ is the only one in all of humanity who was literally spit out by death because of his sinlessness. Uh, flip back just for a moment to the book of Acts and um, I know this is a passage that we continue to come back to where we have some of these early gospel messages of the apostles, but there's so much truth in here that, that uh, Peter helps us to understand Acts 2, 24. And as he is preaching the gospel at Pentecost to the crowds that have come to the feast in Jerusalem, Peter tells them in Acts 2, 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken." Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And so Jesus Christ, uh, as the sinless one, there, there, as he goes into death, Death itself, we're told by Peter, was not able to hold him because of his sinlessness. He was the perfect lamb. And not only that, but he uh, did not decay. He did not see corruption, we see. And so, Jesus Christ is unique in that he alone is the 
first one and the last one to go into death as a sinless one. The author of Hebrews says this. He says in Hebrews 7.26, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Jesus Christ is the unstained, sinless one. And as he goes into death, he is rejected by death because of his sinlessness. Um, we know that the, the wages of sin is death. And so Christ, as the sinless one, is not fit for death. Even as he's atoning for our sin, he conquers because death could not hold him. I don't know if you've tried this before, but um, if you have kids, you've probably tried it. You find in, in some times, very strategic locations, they'll have a vending machine. And of course, as soon as the child sees a vending machine, they start begging and pleading for money. And uh, they want a treat that's about five times more expensive as it would have been from IGA. But, you know, that's all about convenience. And I don't know if you've ever tried to put in a coin um, that was brand new. I mean, sometimes you get a brand new coin or maybe a coin that is like a collector's edition, those quarters, you know, you see with the, the different uh, picture on them, like a collector's item, and you put it into the machine, but it doesn't recognize it. It, it, it doesn't receive that coin, and so it just spits it back out, and, and you know, and it's like, this is a brand new coin. Why isn't this working? And you have to find maybe something that the machine will recognize. And maybe in a way... That is what Christ has done as the sinless one, as the one that is not fit for death, that death cannot claim because Jesus has committed no sin. He is rejected by death. As the old preachers would say, Jesus went into the belly of death and poisoned it from the inside and he was raised again to everlasting life. Maybe you have trouble at times doubting God's forgiveness of your sins. Maybe even this past week, you have sinned grievously, grievously against the Lord and you feel that I, I can't come to God. This is too bad. This is too dark. This is too dirty. God surely will not forgive me and you hesitate to come to the throne of grace. But when you understand that Christ, the sinless one, has already gone into death, gone into the fullness of our consequence and conquered it, then you do not come to God on the basis of how good or bad you have been. You come to God on the merit of Jesus Christ. His sinlessness is the only way that we have access to the Father. And so do not allow the, the enemy to whisper in your ear that you're too dirty, you're too unclean, this sin is too bad, there is no forgiveness for you. Rather, you take hold of the gospel message that Christ the sinless one has entered into death for us and you go to the throne of grace and find forgiveness. So Jesus Christ is the firstborn because he's the only one to die without sin. Secondly, as we saw in Acts there, he is the only one to die and not decay. And I think I've often overlooked this in the scripture, but it's, it's repeated over and over again that, that Christ was not given over to the full effects of death in even his body, not decaying. And this is mysterious for us. But this is um, what, what Peter says and what the other apostles say. Paul will agree, and they're quoting from 
Psalm 16, everyone else that died has seen some degree of corruption. And of course, we know that the woman um, or, or the, the girl that died was probably, you would have looked at her and, and thought, well, maybe she is just sleeping. She has just died. But even then, the effects of death would begin immediately working upon her body and begin decaying. And it's not something that we like to think about, but realistically, in, in even probably 60 years, maybe 100 years for sure, everyone in this room will be reduced to the effects of death. They will, we will be all um, returning back to soil, back to dust in our physical bodies. They, we will undergo this effect of death. And so did all those who died. Even those who were raised would have still been subject to corruption. But Jesus Christ is the only one who is untouched by decay, by corruption that is fitting for those who die as a consequence of sin. But this speaks of a tremendous hope for us in Christ, the sinless one, the one who did not see corruption. Um, as Peter says, that when we feel in our bodies the effects of death, I mean, we feel it while we're living, don't we? Our, our, our bodies are wearing down. We're literally dying as we live. Our bodies are growing older. And we know that while now many of you may feel young and strong and you feel somewhat invincible, that after a decade or two, you start to feel the aches and pains. But we look upon Christ who was untouched, even in his death by decay, and we look to him who is able to deliver us from this bondage to sin, who defeated death for us. And Christ is the only one uh, who has ever not been subjected to the corruption due to death. Thirdly then, Jesus Christ is the only one to make payment for sin. Um, while it's true that others in history have been raised, nobody else has ever had any eternal impact upon somebody else as a result of their dying and rising. We're told even the blood of goats and bulls were, were not able to atone for sin. There has been no other death in the history of mankind that has been able to atone for the sins of others. Jesus Christ alone, in his dying and in his rising, is atoning for sin. This is at the very heart of the gospel message, the uniqueness of what Christ has done, that he is the sacrifice, he is the Passover lamb. And um, I know I've used this example before, but when we, when we think about a transaction, uh, maybe you use your debit card at the store and you, you, you know, the purchase is ready, the amount is there, and you put in the debit card, you punch in your, your number and everything, and then you push OK, and then, and then the, the transaction, the, the money has been sent, but there is this moment of waiting, there's this moment of almost, I mean, sometimes maybe a bit of fear and trembling if you're not quite sure if that thing's going to say approved in a few seconds, or maybe the, mis the machine is uh, delaying, and then you're like, OK, uh, there was money there, I'm pretty sure, and, and, and yet you have to wait for that approved, right? You have to wait for that complete 
completion of the transaction. In many ways, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the declaration by the Father that the payment is finished. It is sufficient. The payment that was made at the cross has been verified at the resurrection. And in, in many ways, as Jesus Christ comes out of the tomb, he is declaring approved. It is approved. It is complete. He is victorious. Um, we know that sin demands a sacrifice for God's justice to be satisfied. And the problem is that there is no one after Adam who can atone because to atone for sin, the Bible is clear, the sacrifice must be sinless. It must be spotless. It must be perfect. And because man has transgressed the law of God, because we have broken it, it must be a man who atones. This is why sheep and goats, while they pointed to Christ, could not atone. It must be a man. And so Jesus Christ comes, born not after the corruption of Adam, but conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he lives that sinless life, the fulfilling all righteousness as a man. And then as he dies as a man and rises as a man, our atonement is complete. And this is why even the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is so important. It wasn't just a spiritual resurrection, but a bodily resurrection as well. And even in heaven now, Jesus Christ stands as the God-man, eternally joined to his human nature, interceding for us. So we see that Christ is um, the only one who has made payment for sin there's a scripture that in um, again from Paul in Romans that makes this amazing statement regarding the resurrection and our own justification in Romans 4:2 Paul says um, oh I think I have that backwards I keep doing this um, Romans 4 it's not Romans 4.2. But it, um, I'm sorry, I had the wrong reference written down. But the verse says, and I'll have to get the reference for you, because <laughs> I did write the verse down. It says, um, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He was delivered up, crucified for our sins, but raised for our justification. And so the resurrection, as I said, is that affirmation from the Father that it is complete. Um, the payment has been accepted. So fourthly and lastly then, we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is it unique? What, what sets his resurrection apart from any other resurrection recorded in history? Uh, fourthly, that Jesus Christ is the firstborn and the first fruit in the sense that he is the first one to have a glorified body. And we will finish up uh, back in, in our starting passage, 1 Corinthians 15. He is the first one to have a glorified body. And again, I think this is something that we often miss um, in, in the unique resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everybody else who died and was raised died again. 
they were not raised according to a new nature. They were not raised as a new humanity. Lazarus is not around today. Jairus' daughter is not around today. The young man who was raised is not around today. They died. They were raised according to Adam's lineage. They were raised according to the the natural man. Uh, As miraculous as it was, they were not yet glorified, and they would have died uh, a physical death at some time later. But Jesus Christ is the first one to have raised from the dead uh, in a glorified body. And in this way, he stands as a first fruit, as a firstborn of a new humanity that is coming. Um, some of you may remember a, a neighbor we used to have in Worsley, uh, George Bredel and, and uh, his wife, and he lived by his brother Bud. And I remember one summer we were, I don't know, I guess I was 13 or 14, and they invited us to come over because he, he, uh, he loved to maintain old farm equipment. And uh, he just, they had a passion about fixing this stuff up and using it. Uh, it wasn't just for decoration. They were actually harvesting with it. And so he said, why don't you guys come over and experience a threshing machine? And you know, that sounded like fun. You see the pictures, you see them sitting on the side of the road, but I actually see one working. So we all jumped in the truck and went over to George's place, and he had the little tractor and the trailer there. And we all piled on the trailer, and we go out into the field collecting the little stooks that he had made, putting them on the trailer, and going back. And then very slowly and carefully, you lay the stook on this threshing machine, and he has to regulate how much goes in because you overload this thing, and it's, it's not going to be pretty. So uh, we're, we're working there, and, and after a few minutes, the little trickle of grain starts coming out the end, and the straw is shooting out into a pile, and it was just a, a very uh, historical moment, I mean, in my life. But we knew something that even though it was fun and, and it was a really uh, wonderful experience that probably would be almost impossible to have nowadays. There's maybe a few that still have one around. We knew, we knew that dad and, and uncle and, and all the farmers we knew were not going to go back to the threshing machine. We knew that they weren't going to trade in their 9,600 combines and, and go and invest in a threshing machine why? Because the, the new combines, the 9600, could do in about 15 minutes what it took us all day to do. And we were sore, and it was painful, and, and you know, it was rewarding in that sense, but we knew that there was just no comparison to the new combine. And I, I saw, uh, the, apparently there's this new S780 series now, which, I, I don't know, the, the, the cockpit of these combines looks like a spaceship. You know, there's buttons and monitors, and the guy just kind of sits back and, I don't know, reads a book while this thing combines for him. And, and, and we understand what happens when something greater comes and replaces that which is old. And so, for us here, we have to run the course of this threshing machine that we have from Adam. We will die unless Christ comes in our lifetime. We will enter into the grave. We will undergo this physical death as guilty, deserving sinners. Um, But there is also the hope of this first fruit. And as Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 23, later in the passage, he says, 
For as in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And so as we look upon the brokenness and the struggle of this body, we look upon Christ who was raised, who was glorified, who stands as a new kind of humanity, a new kind of body that will never grow old, that will never face disease, that will never hurt, that will never sin. And we look upon Christ as the first fruit of a great harvest to come. Paul would say later in 1 Corinthians 15, just as we... Uh, In verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And so Christ stands unique in that he was raised glorified. And even in heaven now, those that we think about, our loved ones who have gone on to be with the Lord, as I understand the, the teachings of the New Testament they have not yet been glorified. They have not yet received that new heavenly body because we are told that when Christ appears, then we will be changed, then the glorification of all things. In Romans 8, even creation is longing for the day when it is delivered from this bondage to decay and creation itself will be caught up in the glorification of all things. Jesus Christ then, even in heaven now, to those that are there, that their souls have gone on, their bodies decay and their souls have gone on to be with the Lord for those who've trusted in his grace, there is a sense of longing in heaven. How long, O Lord, until all things are changed? How long until I'm clothed in my heavenly body? And we sing about the mansion over the hilltop. Well, the house that Paul is talking about is a body, is a glorified body primarily. And so all of creation looks to Christ as the firstborn from the dead, the first fruits of a great harvest to come. He stands not only as the sinless one, But the one who is untouched by decay, he stands as the only one who made atonement for death in his dying and rising, and he stands as the only one who has risen with a glorified body. And so if you're here this morning and you're not looking unto Christ, if you have not turned away from that lineage of Adam, of bondage and death and sin and rebellion, and you are still believing the lie of this world, that it will satisfy you, that, that the drugs, the sex, the alcohol, the, the, the cheating, the lying, the, the anger, all of that is going to somehow satisfy your soul. I urge you to flee away from that. It is death. It is destruction. And when you stand before Almighty God on judgment, day you will be exposed and you will come under the eternal wrath of God in hell for having received for having rejected his son who is the only one who can atone for your sins so I urge you to turn from that death and look upon Christ who has risen confess your sin believe upon Jesus Christ and then follow in the first command that the believer is given, be baptized. Baptism, uh, to the glory of God, we're going to get to witness this morning. It is not a suggestion. It is not something that, that you know, is, is kind of ideal, but, you know, if you don't want to, no big deal. No, it is a command to be baptized. Jesus himself was baptized in obedience to the new command which John had given. So be baptized. Turn from 
Adam's lineage flee to Christ. And for those in Christ here this morning, do not grow discouraged by the brokenness of this age, but see Christ who has risen as the firstborn of a new humanity, a new creation who has defeated the grave, who has paid for all our sin. And you stand and you rejoice with Paul. There is no condemnation here. As much as I'm aware of my desperate need of a Savior, I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so hold your head up high. Rejoice in what Christ has done. And let us labor in the vineyard of the Lord until he comes again. When even now we could see that truly Christ must be even standing at the gate of heaven waiting for the Father's command to go. Go and get your bride. Go and glorify all things. End this corruption forevermore. And the trumpet would sound and Christ will descend. We will see him. Every eye will look upon not a baby in a manger, but the risen Christ glorified coming in power. We could be at the very edge of history. We don't know, but let us be prepared. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ and for his offer, God. Anyone who will come, look upon the lamb who was slain, testify that he has indeed risen, place their faith upon him, Lord. They will not be driven out. They will not be cast aside. Oh God, would you give us courage to share this? Would you... Would you Work in hearts even now by your Spirit, that hearts would turn to you, that they would believe your word. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in today to the sermon uh, preached at Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church. And again, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at church at fairviewcornerstone.com. God bless.